from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Thank you, Martin. Two Corinthians chapter eight, uh, beginning at verse one to verse nine, and then chapter nine, verses six to fifteen. This bit is entitled "Generosity Encouraged." And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us, in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now in chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. How do you feel when you are asked to give towards something? 
or you become aware of a particular need. It might be the church building, it might be a missionary gift day, maybe a child in another country that could be sponsored, maybe supporting the, the persecuted church. It's going undergoing some tough times in many countries at the moment, particularly Egypt and, the, and Syria. Maybe helping a church plant or another church which is less well off than, than our own. Let's face it, there's no shortage of needs out there. And do you feel, well, I'm really maxed out on my giving this year, not something else to have to give to? Or oh, what a great opportunity for me to help out those in need so that they may give praise to God. Our attitude to giving can either be one of of duty, of responsibility, or it can be one of great joy. And the difference between giving out of duty and giving out of joy is grace. Grace is when we do something that we don't need to do, that is not expected of us, and yet we feel a strong desire to do so. God didn't need to save us. We didn't deserve to be saved. And yet he chose to do so. And that is grace. We've been doing a sermon series on grace over the summer. Grace is God's undeserved loving kindness that brings us to faith in the first place and enables us to live and grow in faith. And there are many aspects to grace, but this morning we've been looking at particularly the grace of giving. And the background to what is going on here in this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth is that the early church in the mid-first century suffered great persecution, um, particularly in Jerusalem. And not just physical, but also economic. Many Christians were just not able to, to earn money. And so Paul had asked churches in various other places that he'd visited to set aside some money regularly for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. The church in Corinth had started to do this a year ago and uh, now Paul is writing to them to ask them to complete the collection so that when his co-worker Titus goes and visits them he's able to collect that and bring it back to Jerusalem. And Paul says to them here in verse 7 have a look down at uh, chapter 8 verse 7 he says, just as you excel in everything all these things the church excels in in faith, in speech, in knowledge in complete earnestness, in your love for us And you might think that is a complete list. So then he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He clearly thinks that this is important. So why is that? Why is the case? And why is it important for us today, the grace of giving? Well, I think there are three reasons to come out of this passage. And the first of those is that God has already given us so much. Grace is the key word here in this passage. Have a look at verse 1. Now, brothers, he writes to them, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul is about to give the Corinthians the the example of the generosity of the Macedonian churches. And uh, he's not going to do that in the sense of, look how good they are. Why can't you be as generous as them? No, he says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's because of what God has given them that they are being so generous. That is where their generosity has come from. It's come from God. 
Well, what is this grace that, uh, that God has given them? Have a look at verse 9, because this is a great verse, a great one to remember. Um, if you need a memory verse this week. Verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now you may feel you've given up a lot for Jesus, you've given up your, your Sundays, you're here after all for the, in the first place. You've given up time in your week to, to read God's word, to pray to him, spend time with him. These are riches that will last for eternity. And that is a huge generosity of God, a gift that we never deserved, but he chose to lavish on us. And if we struggle with giving, if we'd much rather hang on to, to what we have, it's because we've not allowed that truth to really transform our lives. As Alan said the other week, the word grace can be thought of as an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. We've received God's riches, but it was at the cost of the life of Jesus. And if we have been made so rich at Christ's expense, then the only appropriate response is for us to be generous to others. We give because God has already given us so much. Our generosity, our attitude to giving, it's an indicator of the extent to which we've grasped God's generosity to us. If we appreciate how much we have, we will give with joy, knowing that nothing we could give can ever be as much as we have been given. And that is why with God, what he's interested in is more than anything is not the amount that we give, the actual value, it's what is the attitude of our hearts when we give. So if you look at the attitude here of the Macedonian churches that Paul talks about, they're going through severe trials. Have a look at verse 2 here of chapter 8. They're in extreme poverty. They don't have much to give. And yet it says, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He carries on, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And it wasn't a, a begrudging response to yet another appeal. It came from them in service. It says, entirely on their own. Therefore, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. God doesn't want us to get out of a sense of guilt or reluctance. He wants us to give with a cheerful heart. As it says over the page in verse 7 there, chapter 9, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. A giver who gives without expecting anything in return, who gives out of gratitude for what God has already given him. He's one who realises in the words that uh, we read earlier from one, Corinth, one Chronicles, words that King David used when he was uh, commemorating the, the building of the temple. Everything comes from you. And we've given you only what comes from your hand. I wonder what people, you will say to people when they ask you, as I'm sure they will when the building project is complete. They say, how did you manage to raise so much money? Now, there are a lot of ways that we could answer that question. 
that point to ourselves. But how do you answer that question and other questions that you're asked in a way that points to God? Can I make a suggestion? There's many ways you could say it and phrase it in your own language, but don't you want to get across the point that when you appreciate just how much God has done for you, there is never enough that you can do for him. One and a half million is nothing compared to what we as a church have received from God. That is the, I think, the message that we want to get across. Just look how much God has done for us. The spirit of generosity, the grace of giving, has nothing to do with our income. It's a willingness to share what little or how much that we have. If the willingness is there, it says there in verse 12, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. And it's often those who have very little who are more generous than those who have a lot, isn't it? Do you remember the story that Jesus told about um, those people who came to the temple, came to bring their offerings, and there were those who were throwing in large wads of, uh, of money. But then that, that little widow came and put two small copper coins in the offering. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She trusted that God would provide, whereas the temptation for the wealthy would be to to trust in what they had left. Which brings us on to our next point. We give because God has already given us so much, but we also give to help us avoid serving money. As Christians and uh, particularly as British people as well, we don't like talking about money. Um, makes us feel embarrassed. But um, whilst we might find it hard to talk about money, Jesus didn't have a problem with that. It's one of the things he talked about more often than anything else. And you might ask yourself, well, why was that the case? Why did he keep talking about money? I think the answer is because he knew just how much of an influence it can have over our lives. He knew that the love of money, greed, is the biggest obstacle to people coming in to the kingdom of God. And that is why he said quite clearly, you cannot serve both God and money. For him, serving money was the same as worshipping another idol, another God. As Billy Graham once said, he said, a checkbook is a theological document. It shows who and what you worship. In what ways do we serve money? Well, when we hold on to it, when we're reluctant to give it away, the two quite common reasons, I think the first of those is worry, and the second of those is pleasure. Worry, we keep hold of money because we don't know what might happen to us in the future. If I give away too much now, then what happens if I become sick, if I, if I lose my job? How will I survive? Pleasure. We think money can give us the sort of satisfaction that God cannot give us. And so why give too much away that will prevent me buying the things or doing the things that give me that satisfaction? And both of those reasons, worry and pleasure, are precisely why money is so dangerous. It tempts us to put our trust in our money and what that can give us rather than in God and the security and the fulfilment that he provides for us. 
the less we depend on money for our security and fulfilment, the more we will depend on God, the more we will grow as a Christian. Jesus made clear just how powerful a hold money can have on people when a rich young man came to him and he asked him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, I've kept all the commandments since I was a boy, I've got no problem with that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and he saw into his heart, he saw the the one idol, the thing that was holding him back from committing his whole life to Jesus. And he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And we're told the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he used an illustration to show just just how hard it is. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for somebody who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples asked him, well, surely then it's impossible. You know, who then can be saved? A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. To which Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. God can change our hearts. He can make it possible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That is why we have a story just following that, that incident about Zacchaeus, a tax collector, somebody who worshipped money, who was under the grip of money, but somebody who gave up his worship of money. Somebody who, when Jesus spoke to him, realised what an idol had become and said, I'm going to give away half of my possessions. I will pay back those I've cheated four times as much. At that point, Jesus said to him, salvation has come into this house. He turned away from the God he was worshipping and turned to Christ. That is repentance. Well, the grace of giving helps us avoid trusting in money, either for our security or our pleasure. Thirdly, giving is important in order to help us grow in grace. Have a look at chapter 9, verse 6. That's the second part of that uh, reading that Martin read for us. It says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now that verse has a great potential to be misused and has been by people proposing the so-called um, prosperity gospel. It is that the more you give, the more you will get back in simple terms. And the appeal of that is quite obvious, isn't it? Um, but the trouble is it plays into the human tendency to greed. It becomes another get-rich-quick scheme. We're all greedy, we all want stuff for ourselves. That is not the reason we give. So what does it mean then? What does this verse mean? If it doesn't mean that we'll get stuff back for ourselves, what does it actually mean? Well, have a look at verse 8 and it helps us to understand it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What he's saying here is that the way we will reap stuff is by having more grace. We have grace that gives us all we need. Not all that we would like to satisfy our greed, just all we need. But grace means we will abound in every good work. In other words, our reward, our harvest, is a greater desire to do 
God's work. That is, that is our reward. Have a look at verse 11. It sort of emphasizes again. You'll be made rich. How we will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's not a reaping a reward for our physical satisfaction. It's a reward that makes us even more generous. When we see how God can use our small gifts, it prompts us to give even more. When we see what God provides when we step out in faith, it increases our faith. It gives us a greater desire to, to serve him and trust him. Now, we've been talking a lot about money so far, but let's not forget that we can give in many different ways. And uh, often the greatest sacrifices involve the giving of our time and the giving of our lives. I've been reading on holiday the, the biography of uh, Hudson Taylor. I don't know how many of you have read this. It's um, a very inspiring read. It's an incredible story. Uh, a young man who God used, who God gave a vision to save the millions of people in China, who'd never heard the, the gospel. This is in the, the 19th century, mid-19th century. He didn't have much money. He didn't actively appeal for money. He did pray that God would provide the resources for him to, to do the, the work he wanted him to do. But he and others risked their lives to, to serve God in that place. Even just to get to China by sea was an adventure in itself. And in those days, if you became ill, you didn't have the medication we have today. There's a huge risk that you would die. Uh, he lost his uh, first wife. He, three of his children died in China. How did God reward him for his generosity, his sacrifice? Well, he gave him a greater desire to take even more risks. And whilst other mission agencies remained uh, in the coastal areas, the relatively more secure areas where the, the British Navy could uh, help them. Uh, he said, no, we've got to go inland. We've got to reach the millions of Chinese inland who've never heard the gospel. And people thought he was mad, and yet he persevered. By 1900, after a lifetime of mission, it is estimated there were 100,000 Christians in China. But there was then a tough time for the church there. China was defeated by Japan. Um, Europeans tried to gain control over uh, Chinese resources. And there was a reaction against that. There was an uprising. And many of those missionaries lost their lives. Thousands of Chinese Christians were killed in that uprising. The British government uh, managed to secure peace and negotiate compensation from the Chinese government. But uh, the mission organization that Hudson Taylor formed, China Inland Mission, now OMF, they declined to accept any of that money. Over time, the, uh, the communists took power after the Second World War. The church had grown to 700,000 people. Foreign missionaries were then expelled. Christians were persecuted. But as we know, the church today is growing massively in that place, and all because of the seeds that were sown many years previously, because some were prepared to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. Why did, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, why did the Macedonian church give to other Christian brothers and sisters when they couldn't afford it? They had no money to give. Why didn't they just say, we'll just sort out our own affairs first and then we'll 
Then we'll resume our giving, when we're in a better place to give. Because they knew that their comfort was not important. They knew that God would provide for their needs if they made those sacrifices. The reason why the, uh, the group of churches to which we belong, the FIC, is flourishing more today than for many years is because the larger churches that for a long time said, actually, we don't really need the FIC. Okay, we're a part of it, but um, um, we're quite self-sufficient. A lot of them said, actually, we are self-sufficient, but there are a lot of the churches there who are not, who could do with the resources that we can provide, both financial and in other ways. There are pastors who led successful churches who said, I'd much rather actually stay in this church, but I can see the need for pastors giving up their, their time to go and serve churches around the country. Christians making sacrifices for the work of the gospel outside their local area. It's great to send a team out to Romania next week to support the church there, a very small, very um, tiny church struggling in many ways. It's brilliant that we can use resources we have to send out to them. It's a great privilege to support missionaries in other countries. We may be in a difficult financial position at the moment. We may be giving more than the the historic 10% we have given, but isn't it great that we can do that? And it's great to put money into new facilities in which we can then invest our time and our talents for the growth of the gospel. Why do we do this? Why do the church in Macedonia give so sacrificially? Why did Hudson Taylor and many others risked their lives in China. What was the ultimate goal? Was it just to demonstrate gratitude to God for his generosity? To avoid the temptation to serve money? To grow in grace? Well, there's a bigger goal underlying all of that. And that is so that others will come to praise God. Have a look at um, verse 11 of chapter 9. Says you will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And he carries on. Look at this sense: this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers to you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Christian giving with the right attitude will lead people to thank not just us, it will lead them to thank God. And that is the real privilege, to see people coming to God and thanking him for his great gift, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And if we're Christians here this morning, we've understood what Jesus has done for us. We've experienced the riches of God. We have a great and glorious hope that we look forward to. But we don't want to keep that to ourselves. And if that is you who doesn't yet know the riches of the glory of Christ. My prayer for you is that you would see who God is. You would see what God has done for you 
and that you would give him the thanks. My prayer is that all together we will be able to say thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Let's have a moment of quiet to um, just uh, reflect on that and uh, speak to God. Address any areas of your life that God, you feel that God might be saying to you. Father God, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. Father, allow that grace to reach deep down inside of us. Allow that grace to touch every aspect of our lives and not least help to touch uh, the area of giving and generosity. Help us to be those who would give of what we can. Help us to be those who would give with a sense of joy, of privilege, because if you want to see others know that same grace and give you the thanks and give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.